Good morning. This morning I want to uh, talk a little bit about solitude under three headings, so you can follow along. And the first one is I want to talk about the solitude of Jesus, the communion that Jesus had with the Father. And the second thing I want to talk about around solitude is some of the people who have helped me along the way and who have taught me about this amazing, amazing gift. And finally, I want to talk about you and I as the disciples of Jesus who want to find the gift and cherish the gift. So I'll start with a a little reading that I like very much from St. Luke's Gospel, and it's chapter chapter 6, verse 12. On one of those days, Jesus went up to the mountainside to pray, and he spent the whole night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated as apostles. And then they name all the apostles, which I won't do. Then Jesus went down with them and stood in a level place And a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from over the coastal regions around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. The troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. I like this passage because it's very concise about discipleship. It's three things. Communion with God. With whom are we going to give life? And going out and doing it. Giving life. So Jesus, but Jesus has his priorities straight. And uh, I was a friend of Henry Nouwen for many years, and Henry used to talk about this passage, and he always said that when he did this, he always started by going out to try to save the world. And when that didn't work, he found a few people to help him. And then when all their relationships broke down, then he began to pray. So he said, I got it turned backwards. And when I got it straight, it began to change things a little bit for me. So the first thing is that we pray or we find, I like the word communion. Solitude is about communion. And it's a wonderful, wonderful gift. Jesus spent the whole night in communion with the Father. He says later in John's Gospel, as the Father, as you Father are in me and I am in you, He's communicating. There's something happening. It's not in the mind. He's not thinking. This is about the world of the heart. It's about yearning. It's about fear. It's about love. It's about goodness. It's about fragility and vulnerability and pain. That's what solitude is about. That's where we... We meet those places, but we meet them in a safe place because we're with the one who loves us. So it's, it's safe. It's safe to talk about my yearning 
and to say, maybe I'm hopeless because I, I want much more than I can have. Maybe I can talk about my fear, which I'm scared to talk about to others because they'll think I'm weak. But there I can talk about it. I'm afraid. I'm afraid with this person. I'm afraid of my anger. I'm afraid of, of what I'm going to say or do. Solitude is a tremendous gift because it gives us time to process and to, to, to be in our heart, but not to be alone because we're in communion. So when we go to find solitude, and it's so hard, and I, I really, I, I fear for you, I can hardly do it myself, and I'm 86 years old, so I, I fear for you because life is so busy, and there are so many things that are just pulling us to spend time with. So who's going to sit down for half an hour? And then if I do, I'm sort of saying, so when can I get out of here? You know, it's a, it's, it's a discipline and it's something that we have to really work with. But the fruits of solitude and communion with God, we become wise. We become people like Jesus. We become friends of God. The second thing I want to say is a little bit about some of the people who have taught me about solitude. And I'd like to uh, start with a little story, and I don't even remember where I heard it, but it had touched my life very much. It's a story of a, of a young woman who was sitting in a church one day in Paris, and uh, she was weeping. And at that moment, the minister happened to come through, and he saw her weeping, so he sat down beside her. And she was crying, and then she looked up, and she noticed him, and so on. And he said, you know, I don't have anything to say, but I, I can sit here with you. And uh, she said, well, you, you don't have to worry. She said, I, uh, she said, I just dropped in here because I'm going to commit suicide. She said, I'm a prostitute. I've done everything. I'm filthy. I hate men. I hate my life. I just want out. But I wanted to stop here to ask for mercy. I don't know if I'll get it or not. And she went on and they sat for a time. And then he said to her very quietly, he said, you know, I, I don't have many words to say and I see that you're suffering very much. But he said, you're, you're calling yourself filthy and you say you're... you're uh, hating men and you're hating people and you hate your life and but did you know that there's a little chamber inside your heart where only you and God have access and he said if you could find the courage to enter into that place where the one that you believe in obviously because you're here in a church if you could enter that little chamber that's in your heart, it's a place where only you and God have access. And he said, in that place, you might discover that you're a beloved of God and you're a virgin. Beautiful. It touched me a lot. 
that there is a sacred place inside of each one of us that has been given to us. And God has been there all the time, loving us into existence, keeping us in existence. And we are the beloved sons and daughters of God. God loves us very much. And God isn't looking at all the bad stuff. God is looking at the beauty of a creation which is beautiful and which is very, very wonderful. And God delights in each one of us. And it's to find that place. Solitude is somehow to find that sacred chamber that's inside of our hearts where we take some time to be with the one who has created us and put us on the planet and given us years to give life to others and to, to enjoy life. It's to find that place. I don't know if you know the poet John O'Donohue, but he was an Irish poet and wrote some wonderful things. And he wrote this. He said, there is a place in us where we have never been wounded. It's a space where there is, a st where there is still a sureness in us, a seamlessness and a tranquility in us. This is our real identity the full truth of exactly who we are. I really believe we say solitude, it doesn't touch me very much, but communion, yeah, in a sacred place where only you and God have access. That's the meaning of solitude. There's someone else who has taught me a lot about solitude, and this is a native person called Richard Wagamisi. I don't know if you've ever seen his book. It's called Embers. And I highly recommend it for anybody that wants to try to practice solitude because it's very, very helpful. Richard Wagamisi is a native man, and he says this about his morning. He says, mornings have become my table at dawn each day, I creep from my bedroom down the hall to the kitchen where I set my tea to brew, and then I move into the living room to wait. In the immaculate silence, I watch the world unfurl from shadow, and I listen to the sound of the birds and the wind. When my tea is ready, I cradle the cup in the palms of my hand and inhale the scent of lavender. Then I rise to retrieve the bundle that holds my sacred articles for my ceremonial life. I open it and remove my smudging bowl, my eagle wing, my eagle wing fan, my rattle, and my four sacred medicines, sage, sweetgrass, tobacco, and cider. I put a small pinch of each together in the bowl, which I set on the table. I close my eyes and breathe for a few moments. Then I light the medicines using a wooden match and waft the smoke around and over my head and my heart and my body with the eagle wing fan. When I am finished, I set the fan on the table and I lift a book from the couch beside me and I read. Then I place the book on the table, close my eyes and consider what the readings have to tell me.
In this quietude, I feel calm and centered and at peace. And I say a prayer of gratitude for all the blessings that are present in my life. I pick up the role that Creator has asked me to to play this day in my life. Everything I have comes everything I have come to know and rely upon as centering, spiritual, real, and valid has its place on that table in my living room. And so he writes this little book called Embers, and every day there's a meditation on it. I've given so many of these books away, and I always put a note in the front, and I said, I'm I'm giving you this, and you're not allowed to keep it unless you promise that you'll only read one page a day and you won't look ahead. (laughs) And it's really hard. But the point is, every page is a treasure, because it's just the fruit of his meditation. It's so beautiful. If I just could read, I have to watch the time, but if I just could read one. Here's one. He says, me, what is the point of all this ceremony, this prayer, this damn hard work, old woman, to awaken from the dream? Me, what dream is that, old woman? The illusion that what we see is all there is. That this physical world is the real one. Me, are there higher dreams then? Old woman, yes, dreams of unity over aloneness, blessing over fear, freedom over blame. Unlimited spiritual possibility over limited material gain. Me, you're telling me all this is possible? Old woman, I'm telling you to choose to awaken. All is possible when you do that. Me, I became a better man that day. So this is a, a if, you're, if you're wanting to start a practice of solitude, 15 or 20 minutes or a half an hour a day, this is a good start because it, it centers you and you find the way into finding this communion with God. <clears throat> so I want to now just say a word about you and I as disciples of Jesus and uh, followers. The word disciple, out of that word comes the word discipline. And you know, we see it as a bad word, but it's really in the spiritual life, discipline is a wonderful word. And I think each of us choose those things that we desire to practice that bring us close to God. And the practice that Jesus chose first was the practice of communion with God, of solitude. And I think it has to be chosen because we are distracted, all of us, and we like to be distracted. We don't want to be still because then those, those feelings rise up in us that, that are difficult sometimes. But if we choose the discipline of 
silence of solitude. If we choose that, just these moments that I want to have time with you today, I want to find you in my life. I want to recognize you in the world. And I want to see you in other people and learn about how differences are wonderful and terrible, but they're wonderful too. Differences are wonderful and I can learn a lot from finding out what other people think of you and how other people see you. And then my, my vision of you expands. And I have this, this time when I am deeply myself with the one who made me. But it has to be chosen. And I encourage you. I encourage you if you're living a spiritual life, if you're on a spiritual journey, to find the scripture. It's so wonderful. The Psalms are so wonderful. All of these things that I can start with that and then enter into communion with God. And that I can take 15 or 20 minutes a day where I start. And it's, it's good to do it at the beginning of the day when we're not all mixed up and busy and gone. It's to get up 15 minutes earlier, which I know is a challenge. <clears throat> so I'm going to uh, just read something that I, I think is coming from the heart of Jesus to us. And it's about solitude. So I will read it slowly. But if you, if you hear it as a, a, I don't know, it's sort of a cry. Jesus is at the Last Supper. He knows he's going to die. So it's a tender moment. He's with these disciples that he chose to help him. And as you and I know, the disciples were hopeless. But he didn't get rid of them. He worked with them. And we're going to do the same thing. We're going to work together with people who are hopeless. <laughs> And as we work with them, we discover we're also a bit hopeless, so we're in a good company here. But Jesus is speaking now, out of, really out of the depths of his heart, before he goes to his crucifixion. And he's speaking to the disciples. And it's, I would say it's a command, but it's more a desire from the heart of Jesus to us. This is chapter 15 of John's Gospel, and I'm beginning at chapter 4. <clears throat> Sorry, at verse 4. Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so I love you. So remain in my love. And if you remain in my love, you will keep my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is like a, like a last will and testament that Jesus gives to us, that his heart is yearning for us to just take a few minutes and to recognize him in our lives. And to ask him. He says we can ask anything. I have a a miracle list in my prayer book. And all these miracles that I'm asking for. And every day when I'm naming the people. And I'm saying okay my nephew isn't talking to my niece. And they've had a big break. And it's terrible. And everybody's upset. And so on. And it looks like they'll never be reconciled. So I'm saying we need a miracle. And you said... If I ask anything in your name, I'm going to get it. So I'm expecting it, period. That's all. Game over. My, my nephew called me up said, I want to have a talk with you. So we went out for lunch. First thing he says is, I'm having trouble with my sister. So we talk. Anyway, so he's saying, I don't know. I can't, I can't reconcile this. I don't know what I'm going to do. But anyway... He said, we'll have lunch again. I said, okay. My niece called me up and said, can you come for dinner? Tim and his family are coming for dinner. I called Tim and he said, I just called her up and said, I'm sorry. I believe that that was a result of that prayer. My miracle list gets longer all the time because things are happening. We can ask anything in his name. All those deep yearnings that we have in our hearts, we can ask. He wants to respond to us because he loves us so much. So I leave you with that. And I I want to say that you're, you're so fortunate to be here. And it's such a gift to be listening to people who are on this journey, this spiritual journey. And I just encourage you to take advantage of every moment of your time at Tyndale. So I'm going to give you a little blessing and George is going to join me and we'll end with that. Heavenly Father, I call on you to come into our hearts and to show us the beauty and the depth of your desire for communion with us. Bless us. Help us to know Jesus and to follow him closely. And open our hearts so that we become very, very fruitful in the lives of those that we know and those we don't know but we pray for. Make our lives fruitful like your life was fruitful so that we can love and become more and more like you. Amen. And God, now, as we go out into the world, we pray that we will go in peace and in your joy. May our hearts long after you, and may they be satisfied, as you have promised. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.